Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. You're listening to episode 126 of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in this show, I'll help you reflect on the past year with five important questions. Welcome back, wonderful teachers. It's great to be back with you for another episode as we sort of draw towards the end, gradually, but inevitably, of 2020. What a year! What a year, eh? We actually have two episodes left, including this one. This isn't the final episode before our Christmas break. But next week, we're going to be looking at our findings of our teacher report. And so I wanted to take this week to do a bit of reflection together. This has been a year and a half, and maybe even 10 years, squeezed into one. But these five questions I'm talking about today are not specific to years when we have pandemics. And we're not going to be talking about that at all. We're going to be talking about more general things, ways to gain some perspective on how your teaching is going, how your career is going, and your business, and also your life. Does that sound a bit too big? It's true. We need to reflect on the type of life we're building for ourselves and the type of businesses we're building. So these five questions are hopefully going to help you to think through a few things on a positive note or a mostly positive note so that we can move forward into 2021 and leave this 2020, this interesting year behind us. So, the first question. You ready? The first question I believe you need to ask yourself every year is, how much do I need to make to live comfortably? How much do I need to make to live comfortably? So, what is the income that you actually need to be happy and satisfied with your income? Not thrilled and feeling like a rich person, but just happy. Thinking, oh yeah, that's enough. I'm okay with that. That kind of level. So we're not talking about extravagant spending here, but we are talking about the things that are important to you. So while I don't want you to come up with some crazy figure that is your dream income, I also don't want you to write down a number or think of a number that's too low. What I'd like you to do is go through all of the things that are important to you. So start with, yes, you need to spend X on groceries, 
You need to spend so much on rent or a mortgage. You need to pay your school, your kids' tuition fees, all of these things, right? And if you're in a two-income household, I would suggest you still do this for everything and then deduct your partner's income from that amount, right? So if you have another income coming in, great, you can take that away from your total expenses. If you're a joint income household, let me say, if you split certain things, then you'll already know that yourself. But I want you to write down everything that's important to you. So not just what I've listed so far, the basic sort of things, but also the things that are really important. Maybe your own piano lessons or your own music lessons. Maybe it's important to you to keep those up. Maybe it's important to you that you pay the fees for a yacht club. You know, it doesn't have to be just basic standard things. For me, I'm going to be including a budget and when I can travel, for travel in there. Because I love traveling. It's important to me to spend that money. And it is a big part of my sort of, shall we say, spending money. You know, the non-important stuff. That's how I like to spend my money. I like to spend it on experiences. I don't really care about expensive handbags or anything like that, but I like to be able to take big trips when I can. So, Think about what's important to you and make a list of it and map it all out to the best of your ability to come up with a number that is the amount you want to be making as your take-home pay. And then reverse engineer how much this is going to be before tax and then reverse engineer again to figure out, especially if you're a single teacher studio, what this is in revenue. How much does your studio or your business in general need to make for you to have this take-home pay? This is going to take a bit of calculation, I'm not going to lie to you, but it's a really important figure. It's probably the most important. Because until you have that, you can't really decide on financial, other financial goals for your studio or your life or your business or anything. Because otherwise you're just plucking numbers out of the air. You're just saying, oh, I want to be a business that makes a million bucks, you know. Maybe that'll be way too much because that's going to mean certain things for what you need to do in your business. Maybe it won't be enough because the tax is so high in your area and you need a certain standard of living. Okay, a million bucks is probably too much for everyone. But you get what I'm saying. In a single teacher studio, I mean. You get what I'm saying? You need to base this on reality and what you actually need and want to live comfortably. So work out that figure. That's your first question you need to ask yourself every year because it will change. Because we build up things that are important to us or maybe some things don't become important, you know, lose their importance over time. Maybe I decide traveling doesn't matter to me anymore one year. And so that's going to come off that figure. Maybe you take up a new hobby some year and that needs to go on to that because it's important to you or anything else in between. So you need to ask yourself this each year. Then we want to consider how much you're actually making. Sorry, I'm going to make you do this again. How much are you actually making each year? So how much did you make this past year whenever you're doing this exercise? 
This doesn't have to be at the end of a year, by the way. It can just be for a year on that date, right? So if you do it on May 14th, it's from May 14th to May 14th. But how much you actually make in a year and how much that equates to per hour. You've heard me talk about effective hourly rate before. Come back to that figure again. Per year and per hour, both are important. Per hour tells you, am I actually paying myself properly? And per year tells you where you are in relation to that last question, in relation to how much you need to make to live comfortably and how much you actually are making, whether those are lining up. So be accurate if you can and be realistic with yourself about the hours you're spending and work out those two figures. How much am I making per year and per hour based on the hours you work in your studio? Okay, now if these two figures do not line up, you'll need to have a little chat with yourself about how you could make them so. There's several ways to approach that. You can bring in more income, I'm assuming if you're under what you need to be earning, if you're over, then, I mean, that's fine, isn't it? So if you're under what you need to be earning, do you really need to earn that much to live comfortably? In other words, could you move? Could you change some things? Could you cut some expenses and still be just as comfortable and actually it would be fine? Or do you need to make more money? And if so, how would you like to make that money? How would you like to make it? Not what's realistic now, but what way would you like to actually bring that money in? Okay, so I got the two tough questions out of the way first. I promise. The next one is more fun. At least for most people. The next question is, what is my dream studio? That's what I want you to ask yourself. What's your dream studio? If you could just pluck a studio out of thin air and decide exactly what what students you had and what the thing looked like and everything, what would it be? It's really easy to fall into a rat race, even as private music teachers, where we're saying, oh, well, I've reached this number, I have a waiting list of this many, and people tell me that I need to hire teachers or I need to rent a commercial space at this stage or I just have some idea in my head of that meaning I should do X, Y, Z. But is it what you want? For instance, I don't want a studio with like 20 teachers. Maybe you do. Great, more power to you. Maybe you don't even want to hire two like I have. Great, that's fine too. But if you don't ask yourself this question, you're not going to end up with a studio that you actually want, a business that you actually like. You need to think proactively about where you're going. So if you want a super simple studio, if you want to work from home, If you want only 20 students a week and you're happy with the income that brings in, that's fine. That's your dream studio. If you want to hire multiple teachers, that's great too. But I want you to ask yourself about these questions. So, does your dream studio have multiple teachers? Are you the head teacher? Are you working? If if that's the case, are you a, what did we call them? A walking principal. And a teaching principal. (laughs) In primary schools here, you can have two types of principals in the school, right? So think about that in your studio. As a head teacher, are you going to still be teaching? Is that what you want? Or do you want to be a manager of a studio? 
and be influencing tons of students, but not actually be a teacher or anything in between. Do you want to have just a couple of students and mostly have other teachers doing the bulk of the teaching, right? Next question is, how many students are in this dream studio? That's affected by the number of teachers, but not specifically, right? So how many students do you think this dream studio should have? And you can base this on the income and on the influence and other factors. It's not exclusively about the money, although that is important too. What type of lessons are you going to teach in this studio? If you want to make a certain amount and you don't want to have hours and hours of teaching, then maybe it should be group lessons, right? So you need to think about that as it relates to the big picture. And how many hours are you going to be teaching and working? Do you want to work just 20 hours a week? Do you want to work 40? Do you want to work five? (laughs) All of these things affect your income to some degree, but you can also design a studio that mostly runs without you and makes you a decent living if you're willing to invest the time now to build that business, right? But it is possible. What about the physical space? Do you want to be teaching at home? Do you want to be teaching at home but you wish you had a separate room to teach in and you don't currently? Or you wish you had like a... There's one teacher who has a piano barn. We would normally call it a shomer here. Like a separate building, right? In your garden or adjacent to your property. Or do you want to have a commercial location? Do you want to buy another house and turn it into a teaching studio? All of these things may or may not be possible to you, but I want you to dream. I want you to think about what that looks like and what it feels like day to day, because it might look great in your head to say, I have this big commercial location and everything's clean and white and there's these huge open spaces. But day to day, that means you have to bring in a certain level of revenue and it means you need to do a lot of marketing activities and it means you need to do this and that. It also means you may need to commute every day. All of these things might be worth it to you, but they might not. You might be thinking, yeah, that looks beautiful in my head, but actually, I prefer the little box room in my house that acts as a little studio for me, and that's perfect because I love not having to drive to work, right? What about the student demographics? What types of students and what ages and what backgrounds do you want to attract students from? Do you want lots of young students? Do you want mostly adults? Do you want students who want to be professionals, who are already professionals, who are hobbyists, who really are interested in the creative side of playing, who want to do great on exams? All of these are different studios, really. Yes, studios can cater to multiple types of students, but they're going to be best for one ideal type of students, and that's what they're going to be filling the most space with. So take a moment to dream. It's important to do at least once a year. Take 10 minutes, take an hour, and daydream about this studio. And then ask yourself whether you're heading towards it or away from it, because it can be really easy to head in the wrong direction. Next question, question four, you ready? Do I feel balanced? You know, I can be pretty tempted, to be honest, to push back against this 
term work-life balance. Because sometimes I feel like it's pushed around as a way to say you're doing it wrong. Have you ever felt that? Like people are going on about work-life balance and it's just their way of saying, do it my way. (laughs) Maybe that's just me. And maybe it's because I'm a bit of a workaholic and I don't want to listen to people. But about that, about how you should be doing things one way when I'm happy doing it another way. I say workaholic, I actually don't think I am that. I'm just someone who works a lot, likes to work a lot. I'm not addicted to it. It's not like that. But the question, do I feel balanced, is an important one to ask. And there's two sides to this. The first side is just whether you feel balanced. It's the feelings. And that's the hard question to answer, for sure. But to the best of your ability, look back across the last year and ask yourself, within reason, did I feel reasonably balanced between work life and home life, or just in life in general? Did it feel like a good balance or not? That's a question you can only answer by closing your eyes and contemplating it. But the other thing, the other side to this, is that I believe we need signs of when we are off balance, especially as self-employed people. The reason I do feel like I have balance is I, I do have signs like this for myself, and I know what it feels like when I'm off balance. But I also know what it feels like to be ignoring my own feelings to the point where you don't feel it when you are off balance until it goes too far. So if you find yourself in that mode sometimes, I think it's good to have signs. The signs will be different for everyone, but here are a few examples. You could have a statement like, if I am in good balance, I'll be eating dinner with my family every day. Maybe that's how you know you're still in a good balance. Maybe it's that you see your friends at least once a week. Maybe it's that you practice yourself, your personal practice happens at least five days a week for at least 30 minutes a day. I don't know, I'm plucking numbers out of the air. It could be a lot more for you, especially if you're a performing musician. Maybe it's that you never miss your team's basketball match, like you're in an amateur basketball league and you love going along to those matches. So maybe you never miss one of those. See what I mean? It could be anything for you. But you need to have little signs, warning signs, so that you can readjust. I think that's the best system. This is where me pushing back against this work-life balance term comes from, is I think that's better than saying, oh, well, I have to close the door to my studio at 5 p.m., at 7 p.m., whatever. and I have to not think about my students. I have to focus entirely on my family. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's true for you. But I feel like that's pushed around a lot. And for a lot of people, it's unrealistic and also not desirable. If that doesn't feel balanced to you, if that doesn't feel good to have to have this different segments, I guess, then that's fine. You have my permission to find your own definition of balance. But it is important to ask yourself whether you felt balanced in the last year and what some signs are of when things are going off kilter so that you can reassess and rebalance things. We're down to the last question, and I believe I've left the most positive one for last. Well, the Dream Studio is fun, but (laughs) the most positive one, in my view, for teachers and possibly 
the most important for teachers. And that is, what did I learn this year? What did I learn this year? That's, I told you I wouldn't talk about the pandemic, and I'm not. But I do think this is extra important to ask yourself this year. What did you learn? Because even if it was a horrible experience for you, even if things went really, really wrong and were unfair and just, you know, just a bad experience, you can have learned something. And as an educator, I think we need to keep asking that question so that we can acknowledge our own learning and build upon it. So what did you learn this year? Maybe you learned a new skill. I'm sure you did. What were they? Take a moment to reflect. What did you learn? What new skills didn't you learn? Maybe you took up something brand new. Maybe you just learned about new software. I'm sure you did. What did you learn this year in terms of skills? Or new perspectives. What did you learn to see differently this year? Or last one, what did you learn about yourself? Did you learn that you're stronger than you thought? Did you learn that you're more resilient? Maybe you learned that you need to ask for more help. What did you learn this year? That's the question I want to leave you with. And that is also the question I would love your answer to. Can you head over to the Facebook group and let me know? What's something you learned this year? Was interesting to you? A new perspective? A new skill? Or something you learned about yourself? Tell me in the Facebook group or on the show notes for this episode at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 126. Next week is going to be our last one before our little Christmas break. And in it, we're going to be discussing the top findings from our 2020 Vibrant Music's Teaching Industry Report. So this is our survey that was conducted across tons of teachers. And we're going to be looking at those findings and unpacking them in next week's show. So I'm really looking forward to that one. I hope you'll join me again then. And in the meantime, I hope you have a great week ahead. Bye for now. If you feel like you need some more support and help as you think through these questions, you should become a member of Vibrant Music Teaching so that you get access to our awesome community. You can go to vmt.ninja to sign up today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.